0: Well, good morning, Journey. Before I dive into the sermon today, there's a family I want to introduce to you guys. Um, We have recently hired a new associate pastor, Adam Wright. So you guys can come on up. So Adam and his family arrived to Wayne this week, so I just want to take a moment to uh, introduce them and just pray for them, pray for Adam and his new ministry here. So Adam and his wife Sarah, and they have Samantha, Isaiah, and Hope, so... um, we are excited i am excited that that he is here and joining me on the team here at journey christian church so will you join me uh, as as we pray for the rights and their new ministry new home uh, new church father i want to thank you for bringing the right family to us Uh, we just lift up adam and sarah and samantha and isaiah and hope to you as they make this transition to a new community new church new ministry Uh, Lord, we are just thankful that you have orchestrated this move from the very beginning. And Lord, we just look forward to years of ministry ahead as, as they step into the ministry here at Journey. So thank you, God. We just praise you for how you have acted and moved throughout that whole process, and we give you the glory and pray in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, this is uh, an amazing weekend for churches around the globe. This Sunday, literally millions of believers and Christians and hundreds of thousands of churches gathered together to celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world. An event that, in which that three days after the death of Jesus, the stone that had sealed the tomb in which he laid has been rolled away. The tomb is now empty, and Christ was not there. He had been risen from the dead. Now because of this resurrection, Christians around the world gather together, not just on Easter Sunday, but we do so week after week because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and we celebrate who Jesus is as Lord and Savior. So today... It's it's not really about jelly beans and, and Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies, although I'm sure you probably will eat some or have eaten some. But today is really about one of the biggest questions in life that we can ask. There's no bigger question than what does it take to be made right with God? And there's all sorts of different kind of answers to that question because today in our culture, in our world, we kind of exist in a spiritual smorgasbord. And by that I mean there's a little bit of this, there's a little bit of that. People take what they like, leave what they don't, and we just pour a healthy serving of tolerance over the top of everything. As we think about our world and our culture, tolerance is valued highly by our, our culture. And by that I mean every belief system is acceptable, you know, as long as it works for you. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you don't push that on anybody else. That's the kind of idea of spiritual tolerance in which we live today. Some people will say that all, all roads, roads ultimately lead to God. All religions are essentially the same. you know. But these are all very different beliefs about God. And those don't line up with biblical faith. You know, think about two buzzwords in our culture today, diversity and inclusive. And they, they say that all belief is kind of treated equally. Nobody should be left out. All of those religions, everything's okay. All those roads, they all lead to the same place. Whatever you believe is okay for you, just don't try to force it on anybody else. But what, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about how to be made right with God and and have a right relationship with the creator of the universe, a right relationship with the creator of you? Now, it's interesting in our world today, you can can talk about spiritual things all day long and not be controversial. You know, you could talk about having a higher power, a higher being, you could talk about positive energy, spirituality, and not be controversial at all. But when, when does it get controversial? Well, you bring up the name of Jesus. And you start talking about the Bible. The Bible is probably one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misapplied books in the world today. But today I want to just talk about Jesus for a few moments. Even when we look at Jesus, few will debate the, the historicity of him Few will debate whether he really existed or not as a historical figure. And few people will really dislike his teaching. I mean, what's not to like about helping the poor and helping orphans and widows and forgiving people and reaching out to people that others would overlook? So really, it's not a debate about whether Jesus existed or a debate about some of his central teachings, but what does get people riled up What does become controversial and divisive is the exclusive claim that Jesus makes. Jesus clearly says in his teaching that he is the only way to the Father. And that's an exclusive claim. You know, in in our Bibles, in the New Testament, we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter, we read there about Jesus as he's getting ready to return to the Father. He's talking to his disciples about going back to God the Father, and he tells his disciples in John 14, verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. And then one of his disciples, Thomas, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how could we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in our world of this inclusive religious belief system, Jesus makes that exclusive claim that he is the only way to God. And by the way, there's only one God, and he is the way to him. But if you look at world world religions today, you'll see a lot of different things out there. Buddhism, for example, says there, there is no God, no, no type of final existence. So a Buddhist is going to believe in countless rebirths and this cycle over and over again, and eventually your only hope is to break out of that cycle through nirvana and break free from it. Hinduism, for example, says that, yeah, you're going to believe in, in a God, but there's all these other impersonal deities that, that you have to approach that being with different statues and idols that are worshipped as a result. So Buddhism and Hinduism offer no forgiveness of sin, no supernatural help, only karma. Islam is, is going to have a, a personal God named Allah, and a Muslim has no secondary gods. There's a total ban on idols, but they're, a person who worships Allah, their standing with God is based on works and effort. Now, what about a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? Well, a follower of Jesus believes in a personal God that created heaven and earth and us. And this God loved his people so much that he took the initiative, he took the first step and came to us into this earth, into this world. And he became like one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lived on this earth without sin, yet he died for the sins of the world on the cross. And the Bible tells us that after his death, he was laid into a tomb for three days, but then he rose to life again. So people are made right with God, not by going through different deities, not by worshiping idols, not by works or performance, but by placing our allegiance, our trust, our faith in God's Son, Jesus, alone. So this morning, on this Easter Sunday morning, I'd like to ask you to consider Jesus with me. No, no matter what your faith background is or, or no faith background at all, wherever you are at, let's consider Jesus together. And by that I mean not a particular church or, or denomination, but just Jesus. And, and not even particular Christians that you might think of that have done some, you know, really stupid things or said some hurtful things, but let's just talk about Jesus today and what he claims, and what he actually did. So as we consider Jesus, we're going to see how the story of Easter unfolds. And we want to consider three aspects of Jesus today. First, let's consider the ministry of Jesus. Who, who did he come for? And, and how, how did he treat these people? <clears throat> well, Mark chapter 2, another one of the Gospels, It tells us why Jesus came. So when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples of Jesus, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, on hearing this, Jesus responds, and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who did Jesus come for? He came for sinners like us. He didn't come for, for those that think they have it all together. That those, Didn't come for those that are self-righteous in their own minds. He came for people that, that know that they needed help and grace and God's mercy. He came for those people that the religious leaders and the religious systems of Jesus' day literally rejected and pushed aside. Because those religious leaders and that whole culture that surrounded them, that they would have disqualified a whole lot of people. And they would have disqualified them because they didn't follow their system of practices. They would have disqualified them based on if they had diseases or not. They were not clean enough, not righteous enough, not holy enough. They didn't follow the rules. Well, those are exactly the people that Jesus came for. Jesus loved those people that everybody else despised, that everybody else wouldn't touch or reach out to. He welcomed those that other people turned away. You see, Jesus didn't come for those who thought themselves to be perfect. So Jesus comes on the scene He shows up in order to show the messy world what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it's all about. And that's really the the story of Easter. And he he shows us this upside-down kingdom where those who thought they were in the kingdom are out and those the culture rejected and would have had out are actually in. And then during his time on earth, he demonstrates what kingdom life is like. And over and over again, Jesus taught those that, that the kingdom is, is for those that you would not expect to find in there. So the story of Easter is that there is a new king on the scene. There's someone new in charge, and that person is Jesus the Christ, also called the Messiah, and he is still on the throne today. And that king connected with the outcast. What the Bible calls sinners. So, what did Jesus do when when he was on the earth? Well, the Bible tells us he did a lot of miracles. And those miracles just demonstrated the power of God. And as Jesus was on this earth, he opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the deaf ears. He allowed the mute to speak. He multiplied a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed thousands and thousands. He cast out demons of people. He calmed storms and he raised the dead. Those are the kind of miracles that Jesus did. He turned water into wine and again and again he healed people's leprosy and made them whole again. And even the people that hated Jesus during his day, his enemies, those religious leaders that didn't like what what he was doing, they, they they didn't debate the validity of his miracles because they saw it. They saw what Jesus did. They just wanted Jesus to stop. They just didn't like it because they didn't know what kind of authority he was doing it under. They said by what name are you performing these miracles? My Meaning, like, you know, who gave you permission to do this kind of stuff? We see what you're doing. We see the miracles. We see that you are, you know, an incredible person. But where did you get your power from? Who are you? So no one said he didn't raise the dead. They just couldn't understand where he got that authority to do so. But all of these miracles that Jesus did during his time on earth, they served a purpose And they revealed who he was and what he came to do and over and over again Jesus demonstrates his power over life over death and over creation itself again and again he demonstrates that he is the one in charge he is the king Now, many of you, I, I've, I've gotten to know you well enough that I know many of you are walking miracles. And by that, I mean I've heard your stories of how God has changed you and molded you and shaped you into the person that you are now today in such ways that those changes can only be of God and from God. Freedom from addictions, and now, and now you are free from those freedom of selfish ways, restored marriages, rekindled hope, all because that Jesus has entered your life. Many of you can can say that this is who I was before I met Jesus and this is who I am now. This is is the way I lived and I'm not that way anymore because Jesus has changed me. I was a mess and now I'm transformed. I was addicted, now I'm free. I was selfish, now I'm selfless. I was purposeless now I have a purpose my life was confusing I didn't know where to go what it was all about now God has given me a ministry of purpose in life many of you are different because of the work of God's perfect son Jesus Christ so many of you I know are living walking breathing miracles of God's active work today I too am a new creation in Christ the, the Bible tells us that when, when, you, uh, when Christ comes into your life, the old is gone and the new has come. My old life, Dave's old life, you know, is old and gone, and now I am a new person in Jesus. My wife, Dory, reminds me again and again that she would not have given the old Dave the time of day. You know, she would not have liked me, and rightly so, because I'm, I'm a new man, been transformed by the power of God in my life. And I can say, like many of you, I am not who I was, but I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So consider the ministry of Jesus this morning. Who he was, who he came for, what he came to do, to bring about transformation, to demonstrate what life in the kingdom is like. But second of all, let me ask you to consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. His whole life story, his whole purpose from day one on earth was to lead to the cross. You know that his conception itself was a miracle. He was born of a virgin. And even though he was born a human, he didn't inherit the sin nature of an earthly father. He lived completely without sin. Jesus lived the perfect life. So why the cross? Why did he have to go to the cross? Well, there's this thing thing called sin that destroyed the relationship with God that he desired to have from the creation of the world. When he created Adam and Eve in in the garden, he, he created them to have that relationship with him. But sin enters the picture, destroys that relationship, and sin is so awful in God's eyes that he demands a price to be paid for it. So as the nation of Israel developed, as we read our Old Testament history, we see that they had to go through a whole series of Old Testament sacrifices and rituals to to help maintain that relationship with God. But then on the cross, Jesus, he paid the price for that sin one and done, once and for all, when he became sin for us. He took that punishment of sin that was meant to to be on us and that when he did that it brought temporary separation for jesus from the father that's why jesus called out in matthew chapter 27 verse 46 and said my god my god why have you forsaken me he said that when the sins of the world were on his shoulders and god could not even look upon it and jesus knew that as he was hanging there during that moment that all the sin was on him. And on on the cross, Jesus suffered horribly. Up until that point, leading up to the cross, as he carried his cross to the place of crucifixion, he was mocked, he was spit upon, insults were hurled at him, he was beaten beyond recognition by the Roman guards beforehand. Yet on the cross, what does Jesus do? He prays for his executioner. Luke 23 says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I mean, just picture that. Jesus is hanging there, you know, ready to die, going through that terrible suffering. And what does he do? He prays for those people that have just beat him to a bloody pulp. Well, earlier, Jesus talks about that very thing. Early in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his disciples to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here's Jesus doing that very thing. Where most of us, if we're hanging there, we would not be praying for those that have put us on the cross. So what kind of grace is that? What kind of love is that? Well, it's the kind that only the Father can give. Well, then came his death. In Luke chapter 23, it tells us that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So on the work, on the cross, the work of the Messiah is done. In John chapter 19, there's three words that that capture what that is and what that means. It says in John 19 verse 30, Jesus says, it is finished it is finished and with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit when jesus said it is finished he's saying that that the work that the father had sent him to do was now accomplished it was now complete the work of bearing the penalty for sins the work of paying the price for sin has been done in in the original language of the new testament it's just one word And that one word carries the meaning of it's all accomplished, it's completed, it's finished, and always will be complete. So what's he referring to with the word it? Well, it's not only his life. He's not saying my life is done. That's only part of it. He's saying that his mission is complete. What he came to do is done. So what is that exactly? All of those Old Testament sacrifices, all of that Old Testament uh, system of worship, Jesus has now completed it and fulfilled it. No longer was it, it didn't need to be done anymore. All of those ceremonies find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And he had paid that price once and for all for sin. So when Jesus was on that cross and he cried, it is finished, it was not a submissive cry it was not a a cry of defeat it was a cry of victory you see Christ was in charge as King even while he was hanging on the cross Christ has been char- in charge since the creation of the world he was in charge during his life on earth and we see that through the miracles that he performed over life and death and creation he was in charge of, of his mission of why he came from beginning to end even during that that time of arrest and trial and persecution, he was in charge. He was in charge of his death. He was in charge of his burial and of his resurrection. In fact, earlier in his ministry, back in Matthew 16, Jesus predicts this. He tells his disciples that this is going to happen even though they didn't want to believe it. Because in Matthew 16, Jesus explains to his disciples what, he, what is going to happen that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So early in his ministry, Jesus starts talking about this very thing, but the disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't even want to understand it because their idea of a king, their idea of a kingdom was one of a ruler, the kind that rode into town on a war horse, but Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Their idea of a king was power and authority and overthrowing governments. And that's that's what they expected Jesus to do. But Jesus arrives on the scene and says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is ushering in and demonstrating what life is like. Well, his death led to his resurrection. And the Bible tells us that at the moment of his death, the earth goes dark, the ground shook with an earthquake, and, and it transformed people's lives. Peter, the disciple that earlier had denied Jesus when confronted. When confronted and asked, Do you know this Jesus? He says, No. Were you one of his disciples? Nope, not me. You were hanging out with him? Nope, that wasn't me. Well, because of the tomb, now this this Peter is completely transformed. And we, we read in one of the history books of the New Testament called Acts of how Peter is now testifying to Jesus. Because Peter comes to the religious leaders of the day and he tells them and just confronts them. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. I love, I love Peter because he has gone through his own transformation of life, kind of the timid, afraid afraid to be identified with Jesus, now he's boldly speaking out, saying, you killed him, you killed Jesus, but now he's alive, we saw it, and I can testify to it. And my life will never be the same again. Now he's standing before people and proclaiming Jesus. History tells us that the disciples were not went on and were willing to give up their lives for Jesus. Why? Because they saw the power of the resurrection. And it all hinges on the resurrection, doesn't it? There's been different theories over time about, about the resurrection. Some say Roman soldiers stole the body, you know, but think about that. The Roman soldiers would have loved to produce a dead body to show, yep, he's still dead. Some theories say that the disciples sold the body. But think about that. The, the, the disciples are you know, blue-collar fishermen, and they're going to you know, overpower uh, uh, trained guards, Roman guards. That's not going to happen either. Well, history tells us that many of them went on to die a martyr's death. So would they die for a lie? Would they die for a myth? They died because they saw it. They saw the resurrection power. And now over 2,000 years later, we are amongst the millions who gather together to worship Jesus as Lord, simply because the angel said in Matthew 28, he is not here, he has risen, just as he said. So today I just want to ask you to consider the ministry of Jesus, consider the resurrection of Jesus, And then thirdly, let me ask you to consider the eternal message of Jesus. Let me circle back around to that question I asked at the beginning of how are we made right with God? Well, the New Testament book of Romans tells us in chapter 3, verse 32, that righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. See, righteousness, being made right with God, is found when we place our faith in God's Son, in Jesus. But notice what it doesn't say. It's not, it doesn't say we are made right by being good enough, by being a moral person, by not you know, stealing or, or you know, not doing all the bad things that we think of. But it's made right, we are made right by placing our faith in Jesus. And that's available to all who believe. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how messed up you think your life is, or how many people you've hurt, or how many times you've sinned, you are not made right by God, with God, by being perfect. You are made right with God by placing your loyalty in Jesus' hands. And really, when you think about it, that's the difference between religion and relationship, isn't it? Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to offer himself as the Messiah, as the restorer, as the one who came to show us what the love of God is like, to show us life in the kingdom, to offer eternal life to us. You see, the difference is religion is all about how you perform. Religion is about behavior modification, about the list of things that you should not do and the things you should do. Relationship is how Jesus performed. Religion says you just work hard enough and God will love you. Religion is about what you do, but relationship is about what has been done for you through Jesus on the cross. So consider that eternal message today that we are made right with God by placing our loyalty in the hands of Jesus. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, this really is the story of Easter. It's the story of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth for someone like me, someone like you sinners who the bible says are lost and now can be found who were missing and now brought into relationship jesus came to show us what the heavenly father is like he demonstrates what life is like when we follow him and his death was not the end but a new way forward a new way of living for all humanity so are you curious about this jesus Are you keeping Jesus at arm's length? Are you just checking him out, maybe seeing what what it looks like? So do you want to know more about this new way of living that Jesus talks about? Well, let me ask you, if that describes you, come talk to me after the service. Let's have a conversation of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And then let me do another thing. Let me invite you back next week. Next week, we're going to begin a whole new series of messages that lay out an intimate portrait of Jesus. We're going to spend some time in in the Gospel of John, looking at chapters 14 through 17, as they describe uh, who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it looks like to have a relationship with him. So let me invite you to do that today. Let's have a conversation, and let's explore who Jesus is together. I'd like to pray for you this morning. Father, I want to thank you that Jesus came to this earth, that he took the initiative to come to us to restore that relationship with us. So, Father, I, I pray for each man and woman here today that we can say yes to you, that we can place our lives into your hand and begin to live that kingdom life that you came to offer. So, Father, we realize it's not about who we are or what we can do or even what we have done, but it's just simply placing our life in your hands. So, Father, work in us that way today. Stir our hearts, draw us closer to you so that we might live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.